When you arrive at Jamestown Settlement near, near Williamsburg, you start your visit at an impressive exhibit hall. Follow the path downhill, and you can experience a reproduction Powhatan village to learn how they lived. Go farther, and you can enter the reconstructed James Fort to learn about how the English settlers lived there. And journey to the bottom of the hill, and you arrive at the river and the reproductions of the three ships that brought the settlers from England to Virginia over the five-month voyage in 1606 and 1607. There were multiple surprises in the exhibits, but one of them was the size of these ships that carried a bunch of people in a very small space. According to one of the historical interpreters on the ships, the the home of the passengers, so the settlers when they were at sea, was on top of the cargo in the third and bottom level of the ship. Now, they did make some stops along the way, but can you imagine living down there for five months? They weren't allowed on deck so they wouldn't get in the way of the crew. On the Discovery, one of the smaller ships, we were told that only one crew member had his own bed. While the other crew members worked four-hour shifts and then traded duty for the next four hours on a mattress, the captain was the only one who had his own bed. It wasn't in the front of the ship, the bow, where the water sometimes seeped or broke through the boards of the ship, but in the stern where it was drier. So when I saw this, I had to wonder if Galilean boats in the first century had the same rules as English ships in the 17th century. Did the captain sleep in the stern? If so, it's an important addition to Mark's gospel narrative that we might not consider since the closest some of us get to a ship is a powerboat on Smith Mountain Lake. And while we're not seafaring people, we all know something about storms. Think of the metaphor of storms as we converse about this gospel story. Sometimes we can see the clouds darkening, gathering, Other times, lightning strikes from nowhere and scares us out of our shoes. But regardless of how the storm starts, our lives trip out of routine and become as disordered as the dark seas of Genesis when the spirit brooded over the chaotic waters. Clouds gather when a spot on our skin starts to change. Or a loved one becomes ill. Lightning strikes when we're in an auto accident or we break a bone or someone we love says something that shocks us into a new reality. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus has been sitting on a ship near the western shore of Lake Galilee teaching a crowd gathered around him. And apparently he sensed that others needed him elsewhere. And so he says to his disciples, let's go across to the other side. Now, I would think Jesus was exhausted from teaching during the day. And now he is resting in a deep sleep in the stern of the ship. 
Now, I've not been to the Sea of Galilee, but I understand that the terrain around it causes storms to arise quickly in that eight-mile trek from one side to the other. And so here, as Jesus sleeps peacefully, a storm gathers, and the waves grow so high that they not only batter the boat, but swamp it. Would they have had a bilge pump? Or this? And how could they get the water out when they were trying to hold on with one hand so that they wouldn't get tossed overboard. Among Jesus' friends are several experienced fishermen. They're used to being out on the boats. And if they're scared, everyone should be. But Jesus lies asleep on a cushion. A hospital administrator was startled to see a patient fleeing down the hall out of the operating room, his loose hospital gown flapping in the breeze behind him. He stopped the patient and said, Do you mind mind telling me why you're running away from the operating room? And the patient looked at him with these big eyes and said, It was because of what the nurse said. What did the nurse say? She said, Be brave. An appendectomy is quite simple. And the administrator said, well, it is quite simple. I would think that would comfort you. And the patient said, the nurse wasn't talking to me. She was talking to the surgeon. (laughs) Sometimes we know that there are real reasons to fear. Good employees suddenly lose their jobs. Careful mothers-to-be have miscarriages. Young people get cancer. People drink alcohol and drive and maim or kill. Friends turn against us. If you ride a bicycle, you might wreck. If you take a walk in the woods, you might get a tick bite. If you walk down the stairs, you might fall. We can find all kinds of reasons to fear and allow that fear to completely paralyze us. And sometimes it does. We find we can't move forward because we fear pain, or we fear rejection, or we fear loss, or we fear isolation, or we simply fear change. The disciples are scared. I wonder how much of the storm was created by the disciples heading for Samaritan territory. That's another thing that we don't really think about unless we know the geography of what Jesus is dealing with. He's been in Galilee, his home area, on the western side of Lake Galilee. They're going across the sea to Samaritan territory. For for centuries, the Samaritans and the people in, in Judah have just not mixed. They've been against each other. It sounds a little familiar, doesn't it, to today? But Jesus wants to go across the sea, across to the other side of the tracks. People who are different live there. Their customs are different. Their idioms are different. Their food is different. Does this sound familiar? When things are different, we get overwhelmed and scared and sometimes paralyzed. Pastor Michael Linval picks up on what Jesus says and what he does not say. He doesn't say there's nothing to be afraid of. He says, 
Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus knows, as we do, that there are things to be afraid of. There are plenty of things to fear. And yet, we hear this mantra again again and again in the scriptures, do not be afraid. Abram, do not be afraid. Hagar, do not be afraid. Isaac, do not be afraid. Mary, do not be afraid. Women at the empty tomb, do not be afraid. Disciples, as the hurricane force winds threaten to hurl you overboard, do not be afraid. Living in constant fear is not how God wants us to live our lives, and it's not how we want to live our lives. And so we ask, how does God want us to live our lives in the face of all these fears, of all these potential dangers? Dr. Lewis Galloway was encouraged by Reynolds Price's book, Letters to a Man in a Fire. In the book, Price tells of an 87-year-old woman who wrote to him about one of these moments in which the clouds scatter. The darkness lifts, and we do see Jesus. This woman was facing her own time of difficulty as she was going through exhausting medical tests and preparation for surgery. And one day, she had a kind of vision. And she wrote, I went in this vision, about the vision, I went went out along the Galilee hills and came to a crowd gathered around a man. And I stood on the outskirts, intending to listen. But he looked over the crowd at me and then said, What do you want? And I said, Could you send someone to come with me and help me stand up after the tests? Because I can't manage alone. And Jesus thought for a minute and then said, How would it be if I came? How would it be if I came? Jesus wants us to remember that we are not alone. Not only do we have him as the captain of our metaphorical boat, but he has given us the church, brothers and sisters, not to judge us, but to help us become more trusting followers. Maybe one of our fears is becoming vulnerable to church people because we have heard stories or we have had experiences in which church people have not behaved kindly. But this church need not be like that. This is a church, thank God, where people can ask questions and have doubts Because without those questions and doubts, and even perhaps those fears, one's faith becomes stagnant and dull. This is a church where we do not judge others' choices, but simply try to hold on to the railing of the ship together. We are not alone. And besides the fact that we are not alone, the disciples show us that there are some storms that we cannot get through without God's help. This is the power of Jesus' presence, which in itself may proclaim peace, be still to us. 
Jesus is the one who is at peace during the storm. And then he creates peace in the boat for those around him. This past week during Vacation Bible School, the children made bracelets or necklaces. They were given multicolored beads and a small cross bead and elastic string. And all of the older kids, as they went through and they made their bracelets or necklaces, they all ended up with a cross in the center. And some of us talked about how that's a great expression of how we want to live our lives with Christ at the center. Well, it's easy to do when making a bracelet. It's hard to do when living our lives with so many waves and so much wind distracting us. It takes time and energy and discipline to find Jesus within us, to invest time with him, and then to let that bear fruit when the storms come in. In last Sunday's Parade magazine, celebrity chef John Besh, in the story, uh, in the little biographical article about him, said he stumbled upon something that made his stomach sink, a crumpled up fast food bag. He snatched up the offending item, showed it to his wife Jennifer, and asked, Really? Yes, she answered unapologetically. And it turns out that Jennifer, who isn't naturally drawn to the kitchen and has her hands full raising four active boys with a husband who works nights, had picked up the quickie meal. You know, she said, if you were half as concerned about what your boys eat as what your customers eat, we'd have a healthier family. And later, Besh said that that moment was a turning point. We needed a plan, he said. We needed a plan. And I think all of us, when it comes to something important like changing a habit, we need a plan. And every moment is a turning point, a potential turning point, where we can change direction and decide we're going to do something different with our fear. We know we'll have fears. Will we let them overwhelm and paralyze us? How will we put Christ at the center of our lives so he can calm our storms and we can stop trying to calm them by ourselves? The disciples show us, call on Jesus. Even as we wonder whether he cares, whether we are perishing, call on Jesus. Here are a few examples. Read or recite Psalm 23 or the Lord's Prayer. Here's another one. Repeat the Jesus Prayer. It goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. People have been doing this for centuries. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. A third possibility? Simply cry out, Oh God! And let the Holy Spirit translate your cry into a prayer. Call or meet with someone you trust and express your fear verbally. 
Sometimes just saying something out loud takes away its power. A fifth possibility, picture Jesus sleeping on a cushion in the stern of the boat as it is tossed about in the waves. Hopefully it won't make you seasick, but instead will remind you of his obedient faith, knowing that everything is God's. The boat, the seas, his friends, his very life. Whatever happens, in life or in death, Jesus knew he was in God's hands. Whatever happens to us, in death or in life, we are in God's hands. Jesus' faith and obedience were encouraged by the Psalms. And we'll close with this reading of parts of Psalm 107. I invite you to close your eyes if you would like to begin our prayer with this. Picture what's happening and feel what the psalmist felt. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the mighty waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their calamity. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they had quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. Lord our God, we do thank you for your steadfast love and for your wonderful works to us. If we are in the midst of a storm, we pray for peace. We pray, if we cannot have peace, that you would help us to not be afraid. You have brought many people through their fears in the past, and we invite you to do the same in our own lives. Thank you for hearing our prayer, and thank you for accompanying us through the calm and through the storm. In Christ's name, amen.